Welcome to the Complicated by Choices podcast. The perfect complement to my weekly Substack newsletter that delves into a diverse range of social and personal topics through my original art, photography, and writing. Join me, David Coupland, as I seek to gain a deeper understanding of humanity through the choices we make. In each episode, I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life to explore the unique ways in which each of us approaches decision-making, both practically and emotionally. We'll uncover the why behind their choices, and all going well, I hope we can all learn something new and gain a fresh perspective on our own decision-making process. Head over to www.davidcoupland.com for more information on the podcast and the newsletter. Today's guest is Maya Emel, founder of Higher Ground for Humanity, a nonprofit with a mission to empower underrepresented preteens and teens with the skills, expertise, and community to navigate their own emotional and physical well-being. I know I'm very interested to talk to you about it. Um, welcome, Maya. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm so excited to hear more about Higher Ground, your journey that got you there. Um, and so to start, do you want to kind of give us a rundown of your bio and kind of what brought you up to speed at this point in time? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, David. It's been just so long. Um, so background on me, David and I actually met when I was at HBO as an executive assistant. And most people don't know this, but I had no experience as an executive assistant. So when we talk about choices, like faking it until you make it is something that I strongly believe in. And I think it's a great life skill. But prior to that, um, I was an independent film producer. Um, I produced three films, which was like really cool. And um, I think kind of what led me to do like more purpose-driven work was um someone actually at HBO was like Maya I know you while I was working there and I was like yeah I worked upstairs you worked downstairs and they're like no I really know you and I'm like what are you talking about and so it was the VP of talent relations he was like he's like you made a movie and so he knew my movie because he actually did the Q&A at the like film festival that it got into in LA and so he was like Maya what are you doing here everyone in your seat wants to have made movies and you've already done that so what are you doing here and so like he had kind of like pushed me to like get out of my comfort zone and just like really explore like what is it that I want to do it's like I love storytelling but like I want to have more impact with my storytelling and so then I got into like the tech world and so I moved to San Francisco started working in sustainability at WeWork and then I ended up at Facebook and I got to still do storytelling, but from like the UX point of view. And I just realized how much more people you can reach with technology and how um, we can like really your experience with your phone is like no other relationship. Like I people's relationship with their phone transcends their relationships with their mothers. Like I guarantee you, you pick up your phone more times than you like interact with your mother. So it's just like a really cool like space to create it. And then I think uh, George Floyd happened and I was just like, you know what? Access to information is actually uh, the name of the game. That is the American dream. And so like, how can I use my storytelling skills to help more people understand um, just like not one, not to take life too seriously, but also that like life can be fulfilling and purposeful and it's all about drive, but how do you get there? It's with access to information. So that's like my whole journey to the present. Uh, I love it. Uh, and there's, there's, there's so much I want to talk about there, which I don't think we'll get the time for all of it today. Um, but let me go back to the beginning. Um, and so you, so you're producing movies and, and you grew up in Los Angeles, right? What part of LA were you, did you grow up in? Ball and Hills. So just outside of Culver City. 
Okay. And um, so um, growing up in LA, the, the home of entertainment um, was working in movies and television and, and, and so forth, like a foregone conclusion, or was it something that you think you actually chose at a later date? Nah, so my father is actually a 90s uh, sitcom writer. So I think just, you know, being a, a 90s kid myself and going to Warner Brothers and being around those people and not really realizing. I think in LA, when you're, your parents work in the industry and you're just used to seeing famous people or like going to these ridiculous parties, you just think it's normal. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like I, I moved or anything. It was, it was there. And that's also why I think I went there first for storytelling. Okay, very good. And then, um, and then, so as you kind of mentioned, um, you know, we met at HBO, um, which was, and you, I think you work with Mike Askin. Yeah. Mike. And shout out to Mike. He's, a, he's one of the nicest people at uh, HBO, one of the most talented. I think he's, he's a great guy. So, how was your time working with Mike? Phenomenal. He didn't want to see me go, but <laughs> it was, it was, that whole experience was very much so a part of my growth. Um, just like an understanding, you know, what do I really want? I got to just see a lot of heavy hitters, you know, like we had some really cool people come into the office. So really great teammates. So an excellent time. And our, and our office was amazing. Right. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was some, some really special people over there. Um, and then, so, so you say you had this experience there, which is really interesting that the VP of talent, uh, relations said to you, you know, I kind of know you and you know, essentially this isn't you like what you're, what you're putting your energy into right now isn't you. And so, so then you went to San Francisco and did, like at that point, um, and I'm, and I'm saying this from like a personal experience kind of point of view is that like, okay, the catalyst has happened. Something's been like, oh God, this actually isn't me. There's something else I want to do here. We didn't quite know what it was yet. And so was that the kind of drive for San Francisco and, and to please elaborate on that if so or not. Absolutely. Also, um, they were going to pay me the most money I'd ever made in my entire life. Um, so I was just like, um, I'm going to be doing the same kind of work, but I don't have to answer any phones as a tech company. Everything is just like messaging. Um, and you guys are going to pay me yeah, more money than I've ever made in my entire life. Like, yes, I'm going to go find myself while I also get to make, you know, a higher earning. So. That was a fun voyage. Mm -hmm. um, and and did you like did you like San Francisco compared to LA? Was it was it uh, something you enjoyed? I absolutely loved it. Um, so you know, in Los Angeles, um, I feel like our fashion is you know yoga pants and like you know t shirt tank top. There it's just like turtleneck. Like it was like I felt like I was getting a real winter, even though I know that's not a real winter, like a Midwest you know winter or. East Coast winter, but it was just really different. It's very different. Um, and I felt like San Francisco was a melting pot of like LA and New York. Um, but eventually I did get burned out from that. So we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> right, no doubt. Um and, and then what about um so uh and I'll kind of paraphrase this again, like in in uh I was at HBO for some years and then I was at Amazon Studios for a bit and the one of the reasons I was interested in going to Amazon was just the, the tech side of things i'd never worked for a tech company and i didn't understand it didn't have the experience and um and it was wildly different from hbo in the way they worked did, did you have similar experiences and, and what did you i guess kind of take from the differences that you experienced in those two? Oh, you know it is wildly different um 
So I would say I experienced more of a tech stuff when I got to Facebook and I just saw how uh, I never worked for that large of an organization before. And just like for people to just not know what other people are doing that are like in the same building, but just in different orgs. So it was it was like. I was I would define it as almost being like it was like the first day at college and you're just trying to figure out it's just it's just like a whole new anatomy almost, you know. Um, I remember being in meetings and just being lost because, you know, like, you know, in the tech world, they have like their own um like acronyms for things. It's just like, where is the cheat code book? And you just kinda have to write your own. So it, it was, but it was good for me, I think, to drop myself. So I truly believe that real change happens in moments of uncomfortability. And so I think just being dropped into this tech hub and people being like, oh, no, you got it. Like, you you can do this. Like, run this. And you're like, I've never done this before. Like, that's not that's not the way to, to progress your feel forward. Just ask the right questions and jump. Take those leaps. And so, so um. Uh, you did that and you succeeded in that and and it sounds like you had a, a good time at that um and so so in doing that um did, that kind of built the foundations for higher ground right so the catalyst as you'd mentioned was george floyd which we'll kind of get into but um uh it was kind of like they were building the foundations of you doing this kind of work it was kind of as you were finding yourself it was like amazing that you found yourself in this role that was very similar to kind of this what you're trying to do now yeah. So going back to my point about how you should dive into things that you've never done before. So I had never, I never heard of the role of design program manager. No idea what that was. Um, but it was just like producing, um, it turns out. Um, so I also learned that in the tech world, they just call things different things and they kind of make up things as well. Um, and also every org's definition of that same role, just because it's named the same thing, doesn't mean they have the same responsibility. So it's, it's kind of like being a producer, like every producer on everything, like does different things, has different talents. Um, so I would argue that I encourage people to take on roles that they, they're, they don't, you know, maybe they're not so comfortable with or they've never done before because Facebook paid me but also trained me on how to design and manage programs and scale them so that I don't have to be a part of them anymore. So that's exactly what I did for my company. So you're totally right. And it prepared me to, it's all about access to information. I'm always going to come back to that. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing, um, that's an amazing lesson to learn, especially in this day and age when uh, it feels like we're in a much more cyclical business cycle with things like that and, and this you know new technology coming around the corner every six months at this point yeah. uh to be able to kind of just run through those motions and just get things up and running and then just say hey good luck to you and, and carry on and uh, that's a that's a great skill to learn especially when you're getting paid a ton of money from it um that's a wonderful thing and then so now you um so so uh can you give us that kind of uh, a bit of a sense more of a sense of that transition from uh meta over to to higher ground and kind of and where you're at now with that that setup yeah absolutely so i think uh, the best thing about working with the global ux team was that we everything was led by research every solution that we came up with was led by research so i just really learned there how to design and lead from a research perspective and how the answers are usually in the data so when we designed our programs at higher ground for humanity i was really looking at first let me tell you what i first wanted to do First, I was like, because I was running um, a program there um, 
for the the ERG Black Women Act. And so we did, I produced a financial wellness series there. And so I was like, financial literacy, financial literacy, everybody needs to know this. Like everybody's got money here, but nobody knows what to do with it. Like you'd be surprised, like people who make crazy amounts of money were just like, my, I, I, I literally just got, you know, a financial advisor this year. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like everyone thinks that like the wealthy have it together, but the reality is it's like, that's not always true. So I was like, the kids need to know financial literacy, this is success. And I looked at the data. The data said one in six high school students made a suicide plan. One in five high school students made a suicide attempt. So how am I going to be talking to the kids about financial literacy? They don't even want to be here. So I scaled way, way back and I was like, okay, what do we teach them? What do we teach them? What do we teach them? And so then I started thinking about emotional intelligence and how, um, you know, therapists can be taboo and definitely not accessible for the majority. Um, but life skill education is something that we can make accessible. We can do on workshop formats and we can do this outside of the classroom because classrooms can also be segregating and just like stress inducing. So how can we design learning environments where we, and also the school system is still segregated due to zip code is schooling. So it's just like, how can we get around this red tape and get kids together who wouldn't normally, you know, interact with each other because of their, their zip codes. And so I like to think about our Life Skill Academy as we are teaching the skills to transcend any zip code that you were, ba- you were born into, right? We don't get to be born like, I want to live in this zip code. I want my parents to have, you know, this level of access to information. And so that's how Higher Ground for Humanity, a Life Skill Academy for Young Minds came to be. Um, we support middle to high school students. And when I think about improving the quality of life or giving them the tools and the resources to be able to own their emotional and physical well-being, it starts with, you know, how do you communicate effectively? Uh, how do we teach you how to eat well? And it's like understanding the power of food and everything that you put in your body nourishes your body or it, it, it you know, it devalues your body. And then also like fitness, like most of the rest, don't grow consistently uh, working out. And like you and I know as adults, we're supposed to eat well. We're supposed to be nice, supposed to be kind. We're supposed to, you know, work out. But how often do we actually get those things right all the time? It's because we haven't been doing it since we were kids. So there's like, yeah, the world is focused on the wrong things, in my opinion. So we're just trying to aid in, in that way. Um, well, I love all that, and that all, that all resonates with me because um, I, I just agree with all of it, and uh, agree with the need for all of it. And um, even just to use your example, you know, we're adults and we know we need to work out and eat the right food and whatnot, and, and um, act certain ways. But I didn't always know, and you didn't always know, and and it and um, you know maybe we were luckier than a lot of other people, right, in knowing things earlier or sooner. Um, um, and I think, you know, you and I are lucky again, we've just traveled and, and done different things and that really helps as well. But a lot of people don't have the opportunity and, um, to give anyone extra information or, uh, access to life experience without having to, to struggle for it or to kind of learn the hard way, um, and, and learn for years, learn the hard way for years, because I mean, there must be so many circumstances. And again, I, I'll, I know this has been the case for me where, you kind of make similar mistakes again and again just because you don't really understand the mistake that you're making. Um, so, so to you know, 
and it's and it's just uh so and and that's you know again with people who just have an awareness have a grounding have a, have a, a community that's there and set up to kind of support but you can never know everything and and then especially those who have uh who um don't have the luck of being born in the right zip code or or to i'm doing air quotes doing the right family or what you know whatever it might be it just um so anyway that, that all resonates with me and I, and I love that that's where your journey's taken you um that's amazing. Um, so, so I guess with all that in mind, um, let's get into the choices a bit more and how you kind of make those big decisions. Because you, in the last several years, you've made a lot of huge ones, including uprooting and moving to different places. You went from LA to San Francisco, and now you're in Texas. I know you're jumping around all three. You've been to several companies, several big companies, several industries, and now you've founded Higher Ground. Um, so is there is there a method to all of this or is it is it very much on your gut or is there like a are you a pros and cons list kind of can you give us a, a sense of how you work these things out and how you made these big decisions absolutely so um i think i have a phd in making hard choices um my parents unfortunately the way that they would have hard conversations with me was by saying do you want to go the easy way or the hard way and even though i would verbally tell them like the easy way like my actions say that I wanted to learn the hard way. Um, I think that we learn a lot more through failures. Uh, if you have people who are gaslighting you or, you know, you've never taken, you know, a real risk where there was a sickness on the end of that risk, then um, I don't know, your character is not developing in the way that I think life is meant to be like this, like, even when I think about like shamans or like people who are like peaceful, like I truly believe that they work to get to that level of peace each day. Like that is what life is about. Like finding balance is an uphill battle. Like it's not, but that's not how it's taught to us. And so that's why it's really important for me to make sure the next generation knows, regardless of what like Instagram looks like or TikTok looks like, of how you think someone got to point A to point B. Uh, they didn't show you or always tell them people are going through a hard time. I'm like on the phone. I'm just like, dude, this is just the part of the movie that they just cut out. Like the victory is what, you know, gets the screen time. But um, shoot, I'm not sure I'm really answering your question. Can you repeat it? Uh, well, well, now you're kind of uh, um, uh, challenging me a bit. But basically the, the general emphasis was like in all these big decisions you make, in, in is, do you have, is there a process to your decision making? You know, do you have, is it, is it a lot of instinct based or is it like, a, you know, the pros and cons list, you know, more formulaic than it is emotional? Um, so I'm an extremely spontaneous person because, well, no, I'm an extremely spontaneous person to outside people. If you were in my head, I'm very strategic. I'm very strategic and I'm very much mindful. And I do a lot of journaling because sometimes when we think about progress, um, like, I think time is like its own game. Like, time is an illusion. What we think it's taking us a long time to do something. Like, when I look in my resume sometimes when I'm spinning in my mind, oh, I haven't done enough. I have to, like, look at that piece of paper and, like, actually, you're doing just fine and everything's going to come when it's meant to come. But I'm an impatient person. So, also, I would say, like, to outside people, I look spontaneous because my dad will be like, Maya, where are you in the world right now? Like, a lot of my friends will just text me and it's like, where are you right now? And a part of like me traveling is that sometimes I have to get out of America. America is very much a capitalist society. It is very much about, you know, for-profit things. And our healthcare system is for-profit. Politics is definitely for-profit. 
So when you look at these systems that are around us, it can kind of feel like a chokehold, like how do you escape this? And so sometimes I have to just leave to go find my center. Um, and I do that for my own well-being, but that helps me get to making decisions with clarity and not decisions with capitalism. Okay, great. So, so, so it's, I mean, it's what I'm going to try and take away from all of that is mindfulness ultimately is, is you just, just try and really be very reflective about the, that how, how you kind of walk into life and, and, and what, you know, what you're putting your energy into, what the intention is behind the work you're doing. And, and, and I'll, I'll give even a, like a, a, maybe what some would think is a capitalist response to that, which would be, you'd mentioned earlier, oh, they paid me more money than ever, but it's not about, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not about being able to make loads of money. It's being able to have that financial security to then kind of put your energy into what you want. And so, so, and that kind of goes to what you were saying about, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure on time, right? There's, especially these days, it's, if you're not doing this by this age or have this much money or this many properties or whatever, there's con negative connotations around everything yeah. all related to time. If you haven't done these things by time, but like one of the things I often say to people, um, especially if I'm speaking to people early on in their career as they're getting into it and they're, there's, they're often very concerned about getting the right job and doing the, I don't want to do this. So I don't want to do that. I want to make sure I have the right job. And I'm like, you've got 60, 70 years, if you want, of your career left. Like this is nothing. And this is all just learning. It's all just a foundation. And everything you take from it um, uh, will build into what it's meant to build in. And and uh, a friend of mine, Will, we spoke in a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things we spoke about was when these big changes happen, you're, you're often building the, or like yeah. sewing the threads of this up and or even happens and higher ground. I mean, it's quite apparent how that's been happening for you and it's kind of all been coming together. Uh, yeah. So that's very cool. So this has got mindful. answer the question too. Um, what, first of all, what made you go to Amazon studios? Cause I also feel Amazon on the tech side has a very specific reputation, but how's it on the studio side? So sure. I mean, I'll go for that. Um, so I think I'd, I'd been at HBO for five years and I just, uh, I, I wanted to, like, I, I've always been about seeking experience and diversity of experience throughout my life. I've traveled, uh, you know, most of my adult life. I've worked in different countries. I've worked in the UK. I've lived in different countries. Um, and I've always tried to find uh, different experiences and with the greater idea of to master anything, you need to understand all the things that feed into it, right? So um, even going into HBO, that was a big choice for me because early on in my career, I, I only wanted to make movies. And then 10, 12 years ago, I saw, oh, wait, what's this Netflix thing? And I saw it kind of coming around and I'm like, I need to understand that. Like that's, I can see that's part of the future. And so I started, did the last three last jobs I did, I did worked on Game of Thrones in Croatia from Spain and Marco Polo in Malaysia and like high-end television. And I was like, okay, and then I moved to the US and it was like, okay, now I can learn the corporate side, which I've never had the opportunity for. And then Amazon, it was like, okay, now I can learn the brand new big giant tech studio version of things. So it was just, it was, for me, it was, it's always seeking learning and understanding and a, a difference of experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of what I think what you're trying to get with high ground is, is like, force feeding people experience where they might not have otherwise had it ultimately. And then these experiences that, just are foundational for any human being, but they're just so lost in today's chaotic and Absolutely. very different. Capitalism says we don't have time for you to listen to your emotions and decide what you really want to do because we need you to be here and do that. Right. And right. And um, I, 
I actually want to ask you one question. Um, you um, were talking about uh, your work at Meta. It's all research and data, right? And and from that, that kind of tells the story. Um, so you're a storyteller. Um, do like I, I don't quite know what the question is here, but I guess like has the way you tell stories changed? because of technology like and because of having this ex- access to information and whatnot like do you think you think about it differently absolutely research is like um i have a few friends still um so ux research is very specific type of research only ux researchers can do it and um while i was there i got to produce a series um about our product group, which is Messenger. And so most people know this, but um, most of the people who use Messenger, um, the Facebook messaging platform are not in the US. And so we got to tell this really amazing story. We put it, I put it off for Black History Month about this guy who learned how to speak um, his, the Nigerian native language during COVID through our like messaging, like video calling. And so it was just like this really good like piece about just like connecting and how you can find your culture, even if like, you know, your family has passed on or just like you're, you're yearning for, you know, deeper connections. And so, um, I don't know, it was so as a documentary, but also like, it was just so cool because, you know, I didn't have to write that. I didn't write that. I, I wouldn't have come up with that. Um, and so it was just like really cool to just see read all of these um users experience stories um and just like figuring out like oh which one's gonna like work out the best on screen so i don't know data is just so freaking cool some people are afraid of it um it can be it can be trust me it can it can it can get ugly but the ugliness comes from humanity like we are the ones like it's always us it's always our human behavior um and so like you're talking about you know technology kind of you know artificial intelligence even but i'm just like i just focus for the betterment of society because right now it's been to the detriment of society so here we are yeah uh and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of both of those as time goes on uh to be honest especially when it comes to ai um (laughs) um, do you um what about when you're making decisions that uh, affect other people um i mean especially when they're like the solely your decision or ultimately your decision can it, how about the process of that is is it mindfulness again i'm sure there's a big part in it but but what else plays into that yeah i think that i'm in a space of um like i will make any decisions out of fear um so if there's any type of anxiety or anything i i Oof, i am so grounded that i know exactly what that feels like in my body and my body is like the, and I want to teach other people how to understand how to listen to their body. Like your body will scream at you. And we do all types of things to suppress those feelings. Um, but I feel like the superpower is knowing how to use that to your benefit. And I think that, uh, like to answer your question, I consider myself a trauma-informed leader. And I think that we need more trauma-informed leaders because I don't get afraid or like, I don't I don't have no feeling of, I guess, when I'm making decisions. For other people are leading people in a certain direction because um i'm an open book and transparent and i always want to be the kind of leader where someone can always come to me and um i'm just not i've seen i've seen what it looks like when all the egos get together in the room and they just yell at each other and no one's comfortable with the decision but no one can actually say anything so it's just like well what's the point of being in the room if you're 
not going to, you know, advocate. So, so far, let's just say I haven't, I haven't really found that, I haven't found that um, not leading with my intuition hasn't been a disservice to me. It's always been a value to add. Um, so, um, I kind of want to go down the rabbit hole of mindfulness a bit actually, because, um, it's, it's a running theme here and, and it's, it is with me as well. And, and, um, I've worked for years to, to understand mindfulness practices and, and the different ways I address it. But can you, like, can you talk about your journey with that? Because, um, to me, uh, I, I like to think that that's one of my most powerful tools when making decisions, uh, about anything, you know, being able to kind of put yourself in the right place to do so and and as you said kind of listen to what your body is screaming at you at times and, and or even the subtleties of it when you really get deep in with mindfulness so can you talk about how when you start getting into that like well, does that correlate to any part of these big decision making and, and getting into certain elements of what you're into now absolutely i feel like you can't be someone who is you know preaching mindfulness and life skills and emotional intelligence to like not actually be practicing so for me, um, my first go-to is journaling. I have to brain dump out these things. And I think that also helps with manifesting is just really being able to, your journal is very intimate place, I think also to be with yourself. I think reading is also extremely intimate as well. Uh, but when, I, when I've done those things where the voice is speaking, then when I've dumped that out, then I can go into a place of like meditation. But I can't, I, I normally cannot just go right into meditation. I normally do have to do some type of exercise to bring the, okay, release. It's a release. Uh, because I also feel like what I, the work I do is very stimulating. And so I'm on the go. I have this call, this call, move, 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 move. And so like to get to my, to get to my place of stillness, it's like journal, meditation, love yoga, like and like, I don't know, I don't have to do like traditional yoga. Like I can put on my favorite music and just do the moves. And like, that is my own like personal time of like Wusa. Um, I'm also big on like hiking, um, just like touching grass with um, bare feet, like listening to the bird. I was doing that earlier today. Just like, I feel like also nature was in heaven when we were um, in quarantine. And so, like, the level of, like, bird trip, like, I love all of that. So, yeah, that's pretty much how I how I get in, in touch with myself. What about you? Oh, very similar in, in many ways, um, which I think is probably is not a surprise and is a pattern you would see with a lot of people. Um, I mean, firstly, you know, everyone has their own unique way of, of centering themselves. Um, but the, the, one, the one big thing I'll say for me, my experience is it just takes years of practice. Yeah. Right, you know, five years ago, um, I didn't meditate, and when I did, it was going into a class with other people and someone telling me how to do it, and and kind of and trying to find that peace in there, and and it's very very difficult. And um, I think one of the for anyone is getting into meditation, net new or soon um, for the first time, it's like to me, it's always you know when you. When you start meditating, um, it's an opportunity for all those thoughts that just never get an opportunity to come to the surface, right? And, and as you say, yours is journaling. You kind of your journal, get it out. Yeah. Honest. <laughs> then it's like then it's the, then it's like okay, what did I miss? Then, then it's like kind of getting the extra little bits with the meditation or nothing at all, or taking the respite from it. Um, but so I did all those things. Um, but it, it took me a long time. And one of the biggest things that really helped me was float tanks. I don't know if you've ever tried yeah. float tanks. 
I love love. Uh, there's like one of those two hour float tanks in Westwood, and I go uh, you know, once a month, and it's just one of the best things. I love yoga too. Uh, you know, at least every other day, um, it's my one of my favorite things: hiking, yeah. walking. Um, I also one of the um, things I, I don't. I, I'm not smoking at the moment, but I I love to go on weed journeys, mm-hmm. and uh, weed journeys are um, one of the greatest tools I have in my tool belt for mindfulness and. Uh, it's I'll go and smoke some sativa a strain weed or an edible, which is like an for those who don't know, it's like an uplifting strain. And I'll go and walk for aimlessly for five, ten miles or go on a hike five, ten miles and just see what comes up. And it's and it as well as kind of removing anxiety and kind of giving more space to be able to see what comes up, um, you know, and, and being able to process complex things like emotions and problem solving. It also fuels creativity and, and which as far as mindfulness goes, like that's when I feel most joy is when I'm being creative, and I love that. And, and so, um, any way I can do that is that's mindfulness as well for me. Yeah. So, I also yeah. I try at least two to three times a week to just have um, a cup of tea in the morning with no phone, just watch my sunrise, and that's like ultimate time for me as well for yeah. those thoughts to come through. Yeah. And we also have a, a, a puppy, a, a dog, and a cat, so they they help as well. Um, okay, um, and then so uh, let's talk about the corporate culture just quickly. Um, so, place like HBO and and uh, Facebook, I'm sure maybe um, there used to be, and I'm sure there still is, this kind of corporate guilt around um, you you join a company, you start there, and then the idea of leaving is like, no, 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 that doesn't happen. No, no, no one leaves here. You get a job here; it's like the best thing to ever happen. Um, I think that's shifting uh, in major ways for different reasons. Um, do, have you had that experience? And, and if like, do you feel it is different now? Are you kind of getting a sense of that. I'm gonna be honest. So I was laid off as a part of the first uh, Facebook layoffs in November, and I don't know anyone who got laid off that was like we wanted to leave. We all had at least one more year in us and we were prepared because it really was the amazing company and we absolutely loved our teams. What I am finding though now is that it's not the same company from everyone that's still there. So I I, I honestly see it as a blessing and and I get to focus on the work that is meaningful to me now. So um I think that it I think the universe makes no mistakes and I needed this kind of push to get me out because I was in, I'm like, yep, I'm going to wait for all my stocks to vest and, uh, you know, like I'm going to have kids here. Like I was just like, yeah, this is it. I, this is, this is, this is it. So, and I know it's so funny. Everyone was kind of on that same, we were drinking the Kool-Aid. We were like, yeah, no, like this is it. I'm going to retire here. But Universe had other plans. Yeah, well, well, good for the universe because uh, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of people with, with what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, so, what about? Um, I mean, there must be a hell of a lot of collaboration at Higher Ground and, and the work you're doing, especially with at, like third parties as well as as whatnot. Yeah. So, how do you how do you handle that as a founder, as a leader in in, in Higher Ground, and and you know, kind of that responsibility? How do, how do you manage that with other people? Um, so what I found to be more successful is, um, people hearing about our work and coming to us. Um, I've done the chasing and the chasing can be very exhausting and, um, focuses 
for a long time, people were upset because I wasn't a for-profit business. And so you just really, as a founder, you have to stand your ground. I'm like, I'm here for social impact. I want to impact more lives. I'd rather impact more lives than like make more money. And that comes from a place of knowing what it's like to have more money and still feeling unfulfilled. And then also looking at people who I work with who make millions of dollars every year and, you know, are still not, you know, emotionally well. And so I think, you know, everybody has been out there at some point. And um, what a, what, sorry, to wrap this up, um, I have found partnerships to be extremely rewarding when they come to us and they already know our value add. And so, like, right now, I'm really excited. We have a partnership coming up with the National Alliance on Mental Health, the West Los Angeles chapter. So it's just like, and also those meetings are so much more fulfilling than, like, trying to chase someone to understand, like, what we do. Because, you know, this work can get tiring. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, so I'm going to uh, move on to um, a bit more about your history and some crucial moments. So I see, I saw a recent post on your LinkedIn you where you talked about being on the always list in elementary school um and, and you which refers to always being in trouble when fun, fun, funny enough again I can resonate with that uh I was had a very similar time in school um but as, as a result you were sent out of class um and and you kind of you made your own thing of that which you're very welcome to talk about um but I guess what do you think you took away from that experience and and, and you're welcome to give some context there for the audience who haven't looked at it yet um so, yeah, what do you think you took away from that experience and how that was dealt with? And um, maybe do you think there was any seeds in there for higher ground as well and kind of and how to to deal with emotions and, and deal with what you needed to deal with? Absolutely. So for context, everyone, when I was in elementary school, specifically in fourth and fifth grade, I used to get kicked out of class at least two to three times a week. And so um, it will always happen during the first hour and a half of school. And um, I would literally have all this anxiety every morning. I would I would tell myself, you know, if I wear these clothes, then I'm not going to get kicked out because these are the clothes of a, a rule abiding student. Like I was just making all these narratives in my head about, you know, all the reasons why I wasn't going to get kicked out of school. But anyways, kicked out of class, not school. Um, eventually, I got tired of it and it was just causing me a lot of anxiety, um, which is why at Higher Ground we we don't go into classrooms. We design environments outside of the classroom because students are being alienated in classrooms. Let's say you behave one way on Monday. That teacher still remembers what you did on Monday and will definitely call that against you on Tuesday or Wednesday, even if you do something that was like very minor in comparison to the thing you did on Monday. So um, when we think about, you know, creating these learning environments and, and, and teaching life skills, we don't want them to feel that anxiety that exists within their classroom because Every time I was getting in trouble, my entire class saw that, which then made my classmates feel like, oh, Maya's going to get me in trouble. So it's just like I'm associated with, you know, these challenges that surely they were beyond me. I didn't know at the time, but I have ADHD and I'm not trying to read a book first thing in the morning after I just came from the playground where everybody's talking to me. My mom also didn't allow me to watch school on the weekdays. So all of them were talking to me about what shows that they watched and I was interested in. And so sometimes we didn't finish the conversation for school. And so we were trying to, you know, sneak conversations, but that was obviously disruptive, so I would get kicked out. Um, but I think that being kicked out of the classroom helped me just become a leader and just, like, read all my narrative and just, like, 
I'm not about to stand here and look at the wall outside. I'm going to go explore the campus and make friends and, you know, do things that help my anxiety because I could not just stand there and think about on timeout, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a value add. Okay. <laughs> so that was fourth and fifth grade Maya. But by the time I was in middle school, I never got kicked out. So I think my teacher just didn't have the time to, um, you know, help me in those moments. But the best thing that they could do is just like get out. Uh, because teachers are under resourced, underpaid, <laughs> all the things. All, all the things. Um, but so, so, but you, you know, you say you went to explore and went to do different things when you were kicked out. How many days did that take you? Was it like on the first day, you're like, hey, I'm not going to stand out here, I'm off? Or was it like after the second or third time? Or Definitely the third time because I always thought that I was going to be asked to come back. And I think by the second time, I was like, oh, he just go let the next nutrition bell ring. Like, wow, like if this is, that was enough for me. Like, you're not going to call me back into class. I'm just going to, come back after nutrition and so after the second time I was just like there's got to be better things I could daily and then did you um on your journeys around the school did you find anyone uh that that you would interact with that you kind of would learn things that you might not have otherwise learned had you stayed in the classroom absolutely so sometimes I would um, pretend that I was late to school and go to the principal's office and just like hang out with the kids that were all late and needed to be like escorted back to class. I would help them like put stamps on the mail, like and like when you're in that in that office, us do you just get all the chatter. You know, so and so's blah like all the ladies in the office are just, you know, talking and it's just like it was it felt it felt very comforting. I'm I'm a social person. I like to be around people. So alienating myself was just not gonna be good and then also as far as like other students went I would find other kids on the way to the office that were kicked out or you know I don't know I don't know any other reason why they'll be outside they're definitely kicked out I'm gonna say something else um and we would just talk oh, what did you do oh I did this oh you know just talking yeah I mean that's hey, that's fun I mean it just because you just I like I like experiences like that because they're against the normality. They're against normal life, what people just tend to kind of experience. Um, uh, I actually, uh, one I'll tell, which was I was, we had a, like a careers week one in high school one time, and um, I was I was really rude to the guy that came in. He he worked for Pfizer, actually, the big medical company, um, and they have one of their labs in England. And I was just making jokes and making fun of him and it, making the class laugh, and it was I was so rude. Um, and the guy left and then I was brought to the head headmaster's, the principal's office, and they made me write a letter to apologize to the guy. And uh, I did. I wrote this letter and apologized. And then a week later, I got a letter back inviting me and two of my friends to go for a, a school day out of school to go to Pfizer and visit all. It was, it was ludicrous. It was like rewarding my bad behavior by just, it was a terrible lesson. Um, anyway, it's reminded me of that. I have, but, I have yeah. one of those too. So, um, I think this is elementary school too. My mom, she didn't buy me candy because she was very much so like, no high fructose corn syrup for you. You're already crazy. Like, none of that. Uh, also, just so people know, red 40, yellow 5, and yellow 6 are found in most candies in America. And these are banned in the UK and they actually cause ADHD. So basically, all the candy that my mom wasn't giving me, I was finding ways to get it. And all I'm saying is Skittles, Starburst, like all the good stuff. If you like fruity candy, it's there so anyways um 
we were at Target and I know my mom wasn't gonna buy me this green apple candy. So I put it in my pocket. I stole it. My mother, we're walking around, it's in a tin, and my mother hears like every time I walk, the, the candy make it noise. And so she's like, every time we stop, it stops. And so she's like, Maya, what is that? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so eventually she figures it out. And so she goes to the manager of the store and she goes, She stole this. She should be in jail. Call the call 911 right now. I was thinking, she was seeing it. I'm crying in tears. And the manager of the store is trying to give me stickers. And he's like, Ma'am, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Here, you want some stickers? They're just trying to do anything. So to your point, <laughs> rewarding bad behavior. But we remember these stories. Right. Yeah, exactly. We know we really do. Yeah. Um, and then, so what about when you, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have six sisters. Are you, uh, where, where are you on from one to seven in that? I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. And, um, uh, and are they all in Los Angeles or are they dotted around? Yeah. Um, so most of them are in Los Angeles. One sister is in Austin. That's who I'm visiting. And so, so uh, seven, seven girls, seven women, I mean, that's got to obviously have played a huge influence on in your life. Um, how do you think that affected you and, and how you think walk through life now? So I think this is why I'm a social person. Like, And this is also why I think... Um, I love talking about emotions. <laughs> like, I love communicating. I love um, getting people together. Um, I think when you're used to having a certain level of community and then you go out into these different environments and they're telling you, you know, you need to fit into this box, it is challenging. And again, like growth comes in, in challenging situations, but I think that's also why I'm a chameleon and I can go into any room and speak to anyone about anything. And, um, yeah, I'm just not afraid. I got, I got sisters that used to bully. Like this is this is nothing. I also think I have um, really great comebacks. So if anyone did try to mess with me in elementary school, like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, that's that's, that's pretty good ammunition training. I, I have I have uh, three siblings. I have a sister either side, and then I have a, a 11 year old brother actually. Um, so it's a bit younger. Oh, wow. I know, I know. It's 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 funny. Um, and so, so, uh, what about like, um, I mean, seven kids, second or the oldest, like, do you, do you feel like you ever got a choice? Like, or was it like your parents are like, this is what's happening right now. You kind of, you're, you've all got to just deal with it. Or was it more like free flowing? Like, I'm just trying to get a sense of the dynamic of how you, how much freedom you had as a kid. Yeah. So, um, it's very interesting. And this is, so we're a life skill academy for middle to high school students, but a lot of what we do is communicating to the parents what the kids are learning so that they can understand how to support them. And one thing that we always tell them is that uh, you can't parent every child the same way. Every child is motivated by different things. And we try to help them understand what is, what is their child motivated by. Um, so I was not motivated by timeouts, obviously. Um, I was not motivated by threats. This is the hard way or the easy way. Um, I was not motivated by uh, spankings. <laughs> and I wasn't motivated by, um, you're grounded. You can't go anywhere. Okay. Like, I, I, like, in the moment, okay. But, like, I was still doing the same thing. So, for me, I need to understand I'm a value add person. I need to understand why, why, why is it that I need to do this? What's on the other side of me doing that? 
is it discipline or is it, you know, building my character for X, Y, and Z? My parents never let me miss school. And my dad was a stay-at-home dad at one point in time. So it wasn't like they couldn't watch me. They just literally wanted me to build the endurance of just like understanding every day you're not going to want to do something. You're not going to want to go to work or you're not going to want to go to school, but you need to show up. And so that didn't stop me from trying to fake sick. Like literally they didn't care if I had a cough, like anything, like I was going to have to go to school. And I think that children, we should explain to children why, why, why is it that, you know, if they had explained that to me, I think I would have been better. That's what I think. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I am a similar agree, similarly think about that. And that the big question of why, I mean, it's, it's the one question we're all asking every day of our lives about everything. Yeah. Is, uh, when we become adults and, and maybe parents, not for everyone, but you kind of forget that, that kids also want to know why. And, and it's also, and, and in defense of parents, it's, especially with seven kids, I'm sure it's, it's so difficult it's and your energy is so, yeah. Yeah. I kind of, uh, uh, I, I think that my, my partner's brother and sister are moving right now from LA to Buffalo, New York, and they have, uh, two kids, one, three, and one's a baby. And I just trying to move from one city in LA to another city is tough enough for two people, let alone like moving to another country, another, another state with two kids and all that. Like, it's just, you know it's tough but that's that, that said um the why is like a really good habit to get into and and i guess that's a big part of higher ground as well right it's like this is the why this is and because even things like um as you were saying that i was thinking about um often you're told not to do things as children uh and it was the, the connotation is it's negative but you never explain that oh you shouldn't do that because it negatively affects someone else right there's, no, there's not even that very basic explanation of like your actions are causing pain to other people, right. so whatever it is. Um, so yeah, more of that is a good thing, and and in adults too, by the way. Adults are about kids. Like we're we're still our our childhood selves. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, it, it's a lifetime of learning. That's for sure. Like like I think one of the hardest things to do as an adult, like especially when you get to kind of your early thirties, is unlearning all the stuff yeah. to then start learning stuff you like you really got to unlearn or, or unburden all that past yeah. to, to be able to embrace the whatever's coming ahead of you yes. and you know, get yourself ready um okay um now i'm gonna, I'm gonna just, before we finish i want to just kind of switch into like more of a general america in relation to high ground and um like high ground is it's attempting to solve a problem for underrepresented youth mm-hmm. right which we've talked about somewhat and so can you talk about like more generally about where you see the problem in this country, like on the, on the grander scale and, and where it is and where where you think that's going to get us. Like if we don't deal with this problem, what's the, what's the outcome we're looking at? Yeah. So first, I just want to start by saying that I am not trying to change the world. I am literally just trying to help at the local level, just like lend a hand to hopefully them not having to experience certain traumas that have been intergenerationally passed on and they're passed on because you know when i think about my parents style of parenting it's because of how they were raised by their parents when i think about my grandparents it's because of their parents who were enslaved so we're just not that far from the trauma and so uh, when we think about you know therapy feeling like you know the villain and you know uh, you know 
toxic masculinity, like men just not feeling like, you know, it's manly to vocalize, you know, how they're truly feeling. Um, there are life skills <laughs> um, that can help just kind of break some of those cycles. And in my opinion, um, communication is one of our, our core, our core subjects that we talk about because you need to learn how to communicate for your financial stability, how to, how to say without shame, you know, Hey, I can't do that right now. And then if you feel like you want to share the why you can, but it's also nobody's business and like feeling confident and knowing that your financial status is nobody else's business. Communication is like a huge value add when it comes to setting boundaries not just with other people but also with yourself like but these are the things that are not taught to us and they're not going to be taught to us because we live in the only country where it is legal for them to play pharmaceutical commercials while we're watching television so when you think about i was talking about earlier these systems and generationally you know I know my grandparents, they have a medicine cabinet full of all types of medications. I don't even get into, I don't know how they manage. They have their old pharmacy. I don't know how they manage to, you know, get it right and stay alive, but they do. But they're also constantly at the doctor's office, getting surgeries, getting all these things. So the, the hospitals make more money, you know, when they get to do a surgery. Right? So again, it's just kind of like, I'm not, I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to give opportunities to learn how to exist in this world where everyone's trying to make a dollar off of us, whether it's the food that we eat, the medications that we take, or, um, you know, like the fitness side of things, they make more money on us if we're obese. <laughs> well, we need a lifetime supply of medication. That's more, it just, it generates more money. So I just think it's really important, especially for, for parents who care who care about um, stopping cycles of, you know, oh, diabetes runs in our family. High blood pressure runs in our family. Why? Why is it? It? Is it because of the way that we eat? Is it because we're trying things all the time? Like, are we are we ingesting high cholesterol things? Like, it doesn't have to run in the family, guys. Like, hold on. But I just think that there are certain things that have just been taught to us as though we have no choice in them. And so providing access to the information to be able to, you know, change the narrative i think it's is important generational yeah um i agree again um and generational trauma is a thing uh as you say and in some of that can be even just direct experience with your your parents grandparents or whatever it may be but also there's just it's in us yeah. um from those experiences and and whatever your family may have been through uh, it's there um have you ever um um heard of ifs therapy IFS? IFS, Internal Family Systems. No, tell me more. Check it out. Um, I won't explain it, but just, just highly recommend checking it out because I think, uh, especially with thinking about kids, uh, it's the kind of thing I'd love to have known about as a kid. Um, uh, it's something I, I started relatively recently, but it's um, it's a game changer and it's uh, it's going to be in the zeitgeist relatively soon, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Um but then, let's, so then, look, I know you said that you're not trying to change the world, um, which which is um, very reasonable, um, by the way. Um, but but the we've kind of talked a little bit about capitalism and and I guess politics in this country being uh, uh, for profit and pharmaceutical, blah blah blah. Which which again, all agree with. It's just blindingly obvious to anyone with any common sense. Um, but one of the biggest and most striking things I when I think about politics in this country and and I guess 
uh, a lot of Western countries and most countries is the short um, cyclical nature of our election cycle um, every two to four years. And and the reason I mention it now is because one of the one of the biggest problems of that is that as soon as someone gets elected, they're already thinking about the next cycle. And when they're thinking about their next cycle, they're not thinking about their constituents in 30 years, 50 years, 100 years time, which they need, which we need to be preparing for and building better foundations for. They're thinking about the people they're going to get votes from in a year and a half, a year, six months, whatever it might be. And so with all that in mind, it, it kind of squashes so much ability for people to push for the future. And I'll give a recent example uh, in France of Macron, right? There's this huge amount of protests right now about uh, the the retirement age going from 62 to 64. But what he's doing there, and, and I'm not arguing for or against it, but it, it's planning for the future. But obviously there's an there's a initial reaction, understandably as well, which I get is like, hey, we've worked our whole lives for this promise and now it's no longer the case. Rock in a hard place, right? With with your with the situation, but it's very much the setup of the political system. Um, so uh, again, I know you're not trying to change the world, but but the problems you are addressing are nationwide; they're global in in some some cases. And um, the only way to change them on scale is at that kind of level. And I guess the question is, kind of, do you see a path forward for us to get there? Like, and and is that path forward that we have to completely change our government structure and or, or just any sense from you of, of how you think about this? lots of questions there in one big mishmash of questions <laughs> so i personally feel um you know the michael jackson song uh, man in the mirror sure that to me is where change starts um i don't it it is not so here's the crazy part it is of it is of great service to society for uh, underserved communities to have access to mental health support. It would decrease homelessness. Like it would be so great. People for public safety, like it would be great. But there's more money to be made if they don't have access. They're on these drugs. Like so, um, I just think it just starts with awareness, right? The more we build awareness, um, the more we can build behavioral practices to actually back that awareness. And start with just looking at self. Stop looking at everybody else and just look at self. Like it, it used to make my entire day when someone would be like, "Maya, I love it when you're in the room and you light up the room." Blah blah blah. blah. I'm only able to come in and light up this room because I do my own work. I'm only able to help other people because I make time for myself in like process my emotions and like I don't feel like that's being selfish I really value my relationship with self just like I value my relationships with other people so I hear you at the political level but it's, it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense for the old guard to change their ways because the old guard is happy with how they're living and they're not living in everyday society they are part of you know that special percentage right um, well, I, I will, you kind of mentioned a couple of things there, which also tied into a couple of things we said earlier. But it, it's, um, it's we're building foundations like our ancestors have throughout history, right? And it's, 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 uh, it's a step at a time, and it, and it kind of goes back to again something we have said in different contexts earlier, which is uh, time, right? The illusion of time, like it doesn't can't all happen at once, and and 
building these foundations and making these efforts doesn't necessarily garner results immediately. But the more we do it and the, the stronger foundations we build, it will eventually change over time. And you'd mentioned the old guard, you know, as they age out, as those kind of the younger Gen Z come in more and start bolstering those things. So, so what I'm taking from that then is that you're optimistic, though, that we are, there is going to be this resurgence of good or maybe an element of good, more good that's going to come out of it, or you're still you know, unsure. Um, I believe that you can't have the good without the bad. And um, you're talking to someone who leaves the country and, like, you chose to come here. So, like, you know, um, we're also living in the age where schools are literally being shot up. And so it's it's just kind of, um, I think, you know, I find my work so fulfilling and so important because we literally need to prepare children. How do you deal with this? Because I, I was someone, you know, I was in elementary school when 9-11 happened and, we just had to go back to school the next day and like, nothing happened. And like, that was freaking traumatic. Like, <laughs> but there was no space. They didn't like talk to us like really about it. Uh, my mom had actually just broke, she broke, cause we're on lockdown. So somehow my mom still was able to get into the building and take me and a few of my friends out of school. So, you know, I'm also like, what is lockdown if my mother who had no, you know, ex- my mom's an educator as well. Like, I was an educator able to just get in here like something wasn't locked, you know? So, um, and then, you know, these traumatic experiences continue to happen in the classroom. So uh, it's a shame that we don't have more resources available to the children. Hopefully in time. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, they're making it harder and harder, um, but it's, <laughs> it still remain as optimistic as possible um okay all right well let's let's finish up um and um but before we go uh a couple of easy questions i'd like to ask everyone which is which is what is the best advice you ever got that that as you've used throughout your life and career or whatever aspect of your life you want to talk about wow the best okay so one time i asked one of my mentors um I was just like, how do you do it? Like, how are you able to juggle, you know, career? And it was it was a, a woman in tech and just every room we're in, just all guys, all guys, all guys. And I'm like, they respect you. And uh, like, how do you do it? Like, what do you do? Like, how do you how do you balance the the masculine and the feminine energy? And she looked at me, she goes, Mike, you know how to do it. And I'm like, no, I don't, no, I don't. Like how do you do it? And she's like, no, I promise you. She was like, we've all learned how to do it from our grandmothers, from the strong women that are in our lives. And I sat with that information and I'm like, does she know my great grandmother was a slave? Like, I'm just thinking in my head, like, but then I'm like, but wait a minute. Those women are still very poised. It's, it's almost like I had a disassociation with the work that happened in these boardrooms and things and in, in, in the work that was happening, you know, that I saw from, from my, the matriarchs of my family. And what she was trying to tell me was that it's all the same, like it's all connected and there's no separation and you can be exactly who you are. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I must be Michelle Obama. Like I must, I must be this different person that is, you know, you know, not me. Like I have to go in here with this mask on. And what I truly understood from that is that authenticity gets you much further than trying to like be like anybody else. 
so it's being yourself basically as, as cheesy as it sounds like and it's uh with a capital s though right yourself and that's that's do you think was that kind of uh pre-starting getting on your journey to mindfulness um like before you understood that there was yourself and and this kind of your being or i guess i guess this was pre-therapy maya so this was this was um this was Maya who just was, yeah, and very much so not all the way in tune and just thought everything was out there. It, it like, you know, it was farther away from me than it actually was. Um, you know, self-worth is like, remember I, I shared that uh, I had no executive assistant experience when I got the job at HBO, but I was just being myself and Mike Askin resonated with that. And then boom, I have a job. So it's just, it's, it's really, you know, like you said, being yourself, capitalist. Yeah, yeah. Number one. I mean, that's that's the uh, best of us. So, what about um, some great advice you were given that you ignored, that you wish you had taken? See, I don't ignore advice. If anything, I overanalyze everything. Um, that's who I am by nature. Uh, I really like hard conversations, um, and like if I'm giving or receiving feedback, I'm someone who likes to see my feedback written because I want to go back to it. <laughs> And if I can, I'll notate within it. Because remember I was talking about like putting actions, like you can receive information, but like how you take that information and what you do to process that information to create behavioral change is like the only way that that, in my opinion, that information actually adds value to your life. So because I'm such a strategic person, I like, I welcome feedback. Like when I go into feedback sections, I'm like, I'm fired up. I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Like. It also gets my creative juice flowing. I don't know if you're the same way, but like sometimes you're looking at something for so long, you don't have any more, you know, you're like, this is it. And so being challenged, being pushed absolutely helps. Yeah, I, I would argue that even when you think something's done or think something's in prime position, it's like that's the best time to ask for feedback to be kind of put back in your place and kind of go back to throwing board if need be. Um, well, that's good. I like that. I mean, look, that's just a big, uh, big, glaring sign for listen right and and take it all in like because even if um uh, it's not necessarily good advice you're going to learn something from it even if it's not about yourself um which is always a good thing um, okay my last question is if you um were to meet someone like an all-knowing wise being whatever that might be god's mother nature anything and you could ask one question what would the question be that you would ask them oh my goodness that's a great question well, pressure on this question. I know it's a big one. I think I would ask them, you know, what is the purpose of humanity? Mm-hmm. And I would ask them that question because it would almost feel like we've been self-destructive since the beginning, like conquering each other, like, well, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's a lesson in all of it, but like, what is what is the purpose? Like, and sometimes I think because I recently was um, cooking some garlic, not cooking some garlic, I was chopping some garlic, and I sliced my finger open, and I hadn't like cut my finger cooking in so like at least five years, and it just reminded me just like how vulnerable our bodies are, just like we're really just like mostly liquid and flesh, and so it's just like. Yeah, what is what is our purpose? Like, are we fish really? Like, what what are we? Um, that's that would be nice to know. What what if what if the answer was we don't have any purpose and we're just 
species like a chicken or a a lion or whatever it might be and just that's it we're just lucky i think we're far too poetic um in our in our um our journeys are so based on like kind of you know the narrative that we put in our mind that it's all by design and so there's just there's just so much like why do you have different body parts than i like there's just so much why do we have to mate with another human like there's just so much that i'm like this is by design this has to be by design it's complex we've made it complex maybe but it just very much we have by design we, we definitely made it complex and i think you know probably about many thousands of years ago when we started agricultural practices maybe um but okay look hey this has been uh, lovely to talk to you and, and we we kind of got off subject a bit but i'm okay because i was really curious to hear about everything you're doing with high ground and um and, and it's i love it and it's super noble and um congratulations again for getting started with it and and i really uh, look forward to seeing how it evolves and and seeing the people that you're going to help in good in a lot of time I really appreciate all of your amazing questions. You really made me think today, David. So thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, and also, actually, before we go, though, do you want to promote Higher Ground? Let's give a website and all of that kind of stuff. Let's make sure we add that in, please. Um, You can find us at org. We are a life skill academy for middle to high school students. We have a kids children's coach and family counselor on our staff, and we have amazing partners Angeles, Mississippi, Austin. So check out our website. We're also on Instagram, um, HGFH underscore social. And then we're also on LinkedIn, Higher Ground for Humanity. My name is Maya Evel. I'm the founder. Thank you so much. Thank you. And and I'll put all those links up when I when I post the episode as well. Um so thank you so much, Maya, again, and thank you everyone for listening. This has been complicated by choices. Mm-hmm.